This episode of Oppo is brought to you in part by FreshBooks. Hey, are you using FreshBooks yet? Why not? I've been telling you about this for a while now. You can use FreshBooks to track your time, send beautiful-looking invoices, get paid faster, and it's so dang easy to use for small businesses and freelancers. If you don't believe me, you can try it yourself, free, for 30 days. Just go to freshbooks.com oppo and enter OPPO in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com oppo and enter oppo. This episode is also brought to you by Audible. Audible has the best audiobook performances, the largest library, and the most exclusive content curated by and for Canadians. Start a 30-day trial and your first Audible book is free. Learn more at audible.ca slash Canada. That's audible.ca slash C-A-N-A-D-A. From Canada land, this is Oppo. I'm Jen Gerson, boring wife and mommy proud. And I'm Justin Ling, Irish proud. Today, it's a sheer survivorship extravaganza. We have on a very special guest who wants to take the conservative leader out. We've also got the latest on what's going down in the Wild West. And finally, I have some thoughtful thoughts on Hong Kong. All right, listeners, as you know, we now have a recurring segment called Jen Gerson's Western by West. We mostly mean Alberta, Saskatchewan, though in this case, Manitoba. Alienation Corner. So, Jen, what's going on in the West? Uh, Brian Pallister, the premier who we very rarely hear about uh, from Manitoba, especially as he's not often back in the province from his vacation home in Costa Rica. Well, he is getting into this amazing fight over Bill 21, the Quebec secularism bill that would forbid public servants from wearing religious garb. Pallister launched an actual ad campaign to encourage religious minorities who were disillusioned by the law to move to Manitoba. And Manitobans expect us to stand up for human rights. We're saying, you know, frankly, we just don't believe this is healthy or good for Canada's reputation, for the minorities within Quebec, for Quebec itself, quite frankly. And this has sparked a hilarious fight with the interim leader of the Parti Québécois, who has invoked the 1885 hanging of Louis Riel as evidence that the province has no business messing in Quebec for its controversial law. Obviously, the Quebec Premier thinks differently than I. He says it's a popular measure. I think it's a dangerous measure. We agree to disagree. And I respect and like the Premier, but I do not like this legislative proposal. I do not think it is a good thing. And I would hope others would stand up and say what they think. I thought that this was just absolutely hilarious. And I have to admit that I'm really enjoying Brian Pallister more and more. He's, I, I got to do um, a profile of him in McLean's a little while ago. And like, I really enjoyed it, but he's an odd duck. Like, he's a really odd guy. He strikes me as a little, as a little frumpy, a little kind of like dour. I don't know. I, I kind of like it. He's actually got like a really kind of dark sense of humor, actually. He's he's, he's really funny. <sighs> but um, he, he's rapidly, I think, emerging as the go-to centrist conservative in this country. If you want like a pretty sensible conservative guy who, who will come around on the issues and, you know, he'll get around to it and he'll plot along, it's kind of Brian Pallister now. So I, I'm really enjoying some of the stuff that's going on in Manitoba. Yeah, to say nothing about his domestic record in Manitoba, he's a nice counterweight to Scott Moe and Jason Kenney. It's not just Quebec bashing. He's legitimately calling out Quebec for a truly racist piece of legislation. Eh, I'm here for it. Well, and he's also being opportunistic, too, which we saw also Nenshi do um, when Quebec's tried stuff like this before. It's like, okay, you don't want to be discriminated against in Quebec? 
Come to the West. I kind of love it. Good job, Brian Pallister. Good job, Brian Pallister. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Accounting tasks are a waste of time, and they're not fun, and they're annoying. Some places have entire departments just to handle accounting. They're called accounting departments. And it's not that difficult, but it is very time-consuming and very annoying. I hate keeping receipts. I hate having to sift through spreadsheets that I've forgotten about and that are formatted terribly. It just takes away so much time from doing stuff that I actually enjoy doing and which actually makes me money. Well, if you're using FreshBooks accounting software, you could be saving up to 192 hours a year. It just makes taking care of your books that much easier. Since I've started using it, I found I've just shaved time off of doing so many things. My invoices look good. They get sent out faster. The reminders can be automatic. I don't have to spend a whole bunch of time going back through my old emails to figure out how much I charged for something. Everything is right there. It's easily searchable. It's easily sortable. You can spit out reports. It is fantastic. And you know what? It means you get paid faster. So you get more money in your bank sooner and you can spend it, which is good. Listeners like you can try FreshBooks free for 30 days. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash OPPO and enter OPPO in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's freshbooks.com slash OPPO and enter OPPO. Today on OPPO, we have a special guest, villain of the progressive left, aspiring kingmaker of the conservative right, Jeff Ballingall is with us in studio to discuss his plans to oust Andrew Scheer. Ballingall is the man behind the infamous Facebook group known as Ontario Proud. Ontario Proud has branched out across the country since claiming a slice of Doug Ford's win in Ontario in 2018. And if you haven't actually seen any of their memes, Ontario Proud, Canada Proud, and all of their provincial subsidiaries are basically conservative meme pages dedicated above all else, to taking down the Liberal Party in all of its forms. Based on what we know about Ontario Proud's financing, they're predominantly funded by a handful of real estate developers, as well as a whole bunch of small donations from fans and supporters. While he says the Proud Network will remain neutral in the coming Conservative leadership review, he has joined with Corey Tonight to form Conservative Victory, a pack devoted to ousting Sheer. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so looking forward to all of the Twitter backlash the second that your name is actually announced on this show. It's going to be great. Um, so, Jeff, I have to start with this question. Uh, why are you the guy to oust Sheer? Um, aren't you just a dude who shit posts memes on Facebook? Yeah, well, that's what my detractors will say. But I think we've, uh, I think I'm good at digital media and I think our team has a good approach. And I think I have a valuable uh, insight into how to appeal to a broad sector of the Canadian public online. And I think the Conservative Party needs to do a better job at appealing to people um, and using new media. And so when Corey approached me and asked me if I wanted to be part of his new venture, I was happy to join. A lot of people actually said that a minority liberal government would be a win for the Conservative Party, that if Andrew Scheer took away Trudeau's majority, that would be that would be a win and there wouldn't be a rush to get rid of him. What What changed? Well, and I probably would have sided with you after the election, but what happened after the election is that Andrew Scheer came out and tried to claim some big moral victory, and then he doubled down on all his awful things he was saying about uh, gay rights and social issues that we uh, we should not be discussing in that fashion. And then he didn't show any plan to beat Trudeau with no passion, no conviction. So, you know, as, as I said to the, the Globe and Mail, his election performance was... Um, disappointing, but his post-election performance was abysmal. Uh, and he left this big leadership vacuum, and he played to all the worst instincts um, that conservatives had about him. 
Because, Jeff, I want to get into why you're pissed off at uh, Sheer. But first, I just want to ask, so you and Corey, why would why did Corey uh, approach you? You guys go back to, uh, like, the Sun News together, right? It actually predates that. I, I worked for Corey at the Conservative Research uh, Resource Group at uh, on Parliament Hill. He was my first real boss. And my other question is, you know, if Ontario Proud is so influential, you know, and if you have such a, a keen grasp of, of uh, you know, how to mobilize Canadians and, and how to use digital, then how come you guys weren't able to mobilize voters in the last election in the 905, which is largely where the Conservatives needed to win? Well, I think we did a good job at uh, attacking Trudeau. Uh, I think Canada Proud did a very good job at uh, you know, getting the Liberals, trying to get the Liberals off message. Um trying to use blackface and all the other scandals against the liberals. But I don't th- I think ultimately that's a part of a campaign. We're a third party. We are not the campaign. And so if you run a cra- if the leader runs a crappy campaign, if Canadians can't connect uh, with the conservative leader, then it's going to be really hard to win an election. And I think we saw the limits of that. I think uh, going into the campaign I had big questions about the ability to uh, win the election based on just Trudeau's negatives. Can the conservatives win just on people not liking Trudeau. And I think uh, I think we learned, one, uh, Canadians are going to look um, to the next prime minister and see if they like the, the guy or, or girl. And number two, I think one of the reasons the campaign failed is that the, the, uh, the Conservatives didn't do a good job, at, a good enough job prosecuting the Liberals. And that really showed in the last week of the campaign where they started talking about a majority government. Um, they had, you know, Andrew Shear's face above the gardener in Toronto, and they made it all about the Conservatives when the election should always have been, if that was their playbook, they should have uh, stayed true to that play and made the, the election all about Trudeau and not, not started talking about uh, Andrew Shear majority government. The Conservative campaign didn't look all that different from Ontario slash Canada Proud's campaign, right? I mean, you guys both focused heavily on the carbon tax, carbon tax doesn't work, the tax crap, yada, yada, yada. You focused heavily on blackface and Cincy Laval and a handful of other things. There's a lot of overlap in the Conservative campaign and the third party campaign that you guys are running. Is it a bit odd to go back and say the Conservative campaign was shit when it looked an awful lot like yours? No, because I disagree with the premise of your question. I think our our ads um, were funnier, were lighter. We didn't attack... Uh, Andrew Shear's response to blackface was, I think, was kind of empty, where we just made it listen. Like, we, no one actually thinks Justin Trudeau's racist, but what he is is he's a hypocrite and he's an embarrassment to Canada. That's how we played blackface. I don't think Shear really did that as much. And I think ultimately... Uh, Sheer was just not an authentic or entertaining or accessible speaker. I mean, you don't want to listen to the guy because he's so boring and he's so lifeless and he doesn't actually seem to believe in what he's saying. He's just mouthing words. And so how can anyone connect with someone that doesn't really show empathy? And so, yes, we had we had a role to play in the campaign, but we uh, we can't win a campaign. (laughs) You can't win a campaign on a third party on itself. You know, with the benefit of hindsight, how should the Conservatives have run that election campaign, according to you? I just think you need a leader that shows empathy. I think you need that Bill Clinton 1992 campaign moment where it's, I feel your pain. Uh, you need someone that just seems relatively normal. And when we're talking about not being able to r- march in gay pride parades in 2019, that's not normal. That's not the the Canada that Canadians want anymore. Uh, they, How can you, you wouldn't... If someone told you at a party uh, that they had a problem with gay pride parades or seemed weird uh, about the gay issue, you would not really be their friend. I don't think you'd want to hang out with that person. You wouldn't be able to relate to them. And ultimately, that's kind of what happened to Andrew Shearer. It's hard to relate to a guy where on big key questions about his uh, faith and, and views on, on social issues, uh, they're big. you just feel weirded out by. 
And I'm just going to segue here because uh, um, obviously uh, his deputy leader, Leona Alslev, um, got into a gaffe basically right out of the gate with her comments about the gay pride stuff. She said, um, this is a quote, I think that uh, that's obviously his choice and we live in a country where that's his choice. Have we asked anybody if they've marched in a St. Patrick's Day parade? I mean, this was supposed to be the person they brought in to help sheer deal with these sorts of contentious issues. And that is probably the dumbest non sequitur i've heard yet coming from the conservative party on the on the file yeah yeah jeff i mean honestly what's your problem with the irish <laughs> my friend jamie ellerton who is was on the sheer campaign team and is gay had a great tweet thread about this issue he like had a litany of all the times that andrew Shear went to uh, or celebrated different holidays or ethnic events whether it's saint patrick's day or a filipino bake sale i mean you name it Shear's d- done it and that's the point is that if you want to be prime minister, you have to do these events. Uh, you have to find a way to represent different Canadians. And sorry, dude, you got to do it. It's part of your job. Um, so tell me, Jeff, what what do you think that conservative victory is going to do? Like as a pack, what power do you have other than your ability to sort of place Google ads? Like what are you what are you going to do? What's the strategy? Well, obviously, it's about persuasion, um, and we want to pressure Andrew Shear to quit before Christmas. Uh, but we also are hiring organizers and working with um, conservative activists across the country to make sure that we can influence uh, delegate selection meetings and get people to the uh, the convention if it goes that far in April. Are you optimistic that Shear is going to resign before Christmas? I mean, you know, like reading the tea leaves, his caucus is still mostly united. Ed Fast has recently come out and saying he doesn't want a, a shadow cabinet post. Uh, because he doesn't trust the leader. Uh, but mostly people have kept their heads down. You know, no one's actually sort of challenged him for the leadership. Um, you know, yourself, Corey Tanag, and some others have openly been hostile and, criti- and criticized his leadership. But most of you aren't within the party structure anymore. Would it take someone inside the party to actually sort of stab him in the back for this to for this to work? I think it's a lot more challenging if you're a member of caucus. You don't want to be seen as disloyal. And I don't I don't I think this actually has to be member driven. I don't think caucus can lead it on its own. I think you need a multitude of voices, whether it's in caucus or outside of caucus, pushing for this. Uh, and hopefully we'll get there. But I've spoken to caucus members privately and they are quite uh, frustrated and, and, and want to see Sheer gone, but they know that they can't be the one um, putting the, their knives in his back. And so I think we're, I think Sheer will ultimately resign. I think the man has a problem with making decisions um, <laughs> and or having any passion. It, he, he honestly acts like he doesn't want the job. And so maybe we'll see him make the decision. Maybe we won't. Um, but I think we're ultimately going to see uh, more and more people come out and ask Andrew to do the right thing. But Jeff, but Jeff I also just want to ask um, uh, specifically about conservative victory. I know there's a lot of controversy about uh, how Ontario, the Ontario Proud Network gets funded. How is this pack getting funded? We have uh, donors coming to us uh, from across Canada right now. Um, we're fun, we're continuing to fundraise. Uh, and so I'm not leading that effort. I honestly am not the best person um, to speak to that. Uh, I'm sure... Um, we're going to get a lot more money as, as as things evolve. I mean, this doesn't look, seem like it's a grassroots. You know, you're 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 funding this on you know five dollar donations a piece. This is obviously fairly large donors to get this up and running. Sure, but there were tons of people who were left on on the sidelines um, on, in the conservative movement the last few years that want to get involved and are sick of the party um, acting like it's still stuck in two thousand four. And th- we need um, different people doing different things and. Fundraising and um, donors is is one of them. I've heard rumors that, for example, that like the dairy cartel is going to be stacking the EDAs in April to try and protect Sheer. I mean, surely the, there's got to be strategy just beyond sort of digital persuasion to get him out. 
yeah, as, as I said, we're doing, we're talking to conservative activists and making sure that we're going to be influencing delegate selection meetings and we're getting, we're getting people involved and we're going to be getting, helping people get to Toronto for the convention and make sure that the votes um, go according to plan. But at this stage, I don't see, uh, maybe, and maybe this is overly optimistic on my part, but I don't see Andrew Scheer getting 70% uh, in a review. If it goes to April, it's going to be hard, but I mean, we can't rest on those laurels. We have to make sure that we're doing everything we can to persuade conservative members and get, um, and influence these delegate selection meetings. Isn't it a bit odd that, you know, there's this criminology happening? I mean, you know, if what we're hearing is true, the dairy farmers are out there, you know, stacking EDAs in favor of Shear. Um, if some other rumors are true, you know, the lobby groups who are somewhat less fond of Shear are the ones doing the, op- the organizing on the other side, helping you guys out with money, you know, maybe helping you out with their, their member drives and all that, you know, the cattle ranchers of Canada who are no big fans of supply management and therefore no big fans of Andrew Scheer. I don't big gay. Is that a lobby that is helping you guys? I mean, is it kind of incumbent on both sides to sort of be transparent about who's who's actually uh, running the, the, you know, the the campaigns behind the scenes here? Um, yeah, I guess that's a fair, con- a fair concern. I honestly haven't heard any of these rumors. I, I, I can't speak to them. But maybe Big Gay is. <laughs> no, but well, I mean, you're you're at least involved with a movement that could be the front for some of that. I mean, is is this kind of where we're at in Canadian politics, where it's now very possible to run these sort of shadow campaigns without anyone really knowing? Oh, especially with third, you know, you know better than anybody that third party financing rules are very opaque if we're not in the campaign period. Yeah, and that's true. Um, that's a concern that people. Sh- that's a fair concern that people might have. Kind of to that point, I mean, it seems like some of the most vocal anti-Sheer critics are coming out of Ontario, they're coming out of Toronto, and they seem to be connected to to the Ford, for lack of a better term, faction. Um, And that's pretty understandable, considering the giant rumor was that Ford was enormously pissed off because he was sidelined in the last election. So are you kind of in with the Fordite faction? I mean, is that the deal now? No, um, not at all. Uh, I'm, I'm an element of it. I mean, people are also saying that we're the Bernier faction too because some of our core was involved in the Bernier campaign. I, I, I think the what we're, the people we're reaching and the people who I believe are donating to us are from a big cross-section who just don't want to see Justin Trudeau win again, who are very concerned that if Sheer continues, Trudeau is going to um, win a majority government and continue to harm Canada. And that's what people are really angry about. And that's what people are motivated by. Is there anything Sheer could do to convince those people that he can do better in the next election? Or is it too late for him? I think it's too late now. I mean, he had an opportunity on October 22nd um, to start making phone calls, to show showcase that he had some sort of plan, showcase some sort of contrition. Uh, and he did none of those things. And he has fired Hamish Marshall. He's ha- fired Brock Harrison. You know, he's clearly cleaning house and getting new people in there. Well, he, he did. He didn't renew Hamish Marshall's contract. Hamish Marshall's contract came to its to, came to its end is what he would say. Well, yeah. I know. I know. And, you know, casting aside Brock and Mark Andre a month after the fact, I mean, you can't just do that. You didn't have a replacement. You don't make you when you fire someone in politics, you talk about the people you're hiring, not the people that you're firing. Yeah. And Sheer doesn't get that. You've talked to people in caucus. What's your read? I mean, we know that it went to a vote you know, in, in a caucus meeting. We know that Sheer survived the vote. Um, what's your impression of how the caucus is split? I don't think Sheer ha- actually has a lot of friends. I think his uh, appointment of Leona as deputy must have, must have rattled a lot of people. Yeah, of course, she's a floor cl- crosser. Yes, she's from around the GTA, but... So is Diane Finley, you know, someone who actually has, you know, connections in the party. 
Yeah, and I think it speaks to, it reminds people, it reminds people like me that we lost Lisa Raitt's seat. I mean, that's pathetic. That should have been an easy seat for us. And now the Conservative uh, Caucus is is without one of its best players. We need we need Lisa and we need more people like her, not fewer. And of course, famously, the Conservatives did elect a gay MP. I mean, even... And know, he po- didn't make shadow cabinet. Yeah, I mean, does that, is, is that not strike you as... Uh, a, a bit of a, a, a cock up, for lack of, of a better of word. Cor- of, <laughs> of course, it does. We need to do a better job appealing to more Canadians. And finally, we have an, an open gay MP who's really qualified. I don't know the guy, but I've heard good things. Uh, and very qualified, young, dynamic, and you know, wasn't in, involved in shadow cabinet. Like it's insane. Okay, but here's my my big concern with all of this is that it seems a bit naive to assume that by kicking out Sheer, you're going to get some better option who's more big tent, who's more gay friendly, who's more all of these things that you want. All of the things that the 905 wants. I mean, isn't it more probable that you're just going to wind up with some total populist style windbag, another demagogue style person? Or you get Peter McKay. I don't know, uh, but I think what we need to do is clear the path. And I think, unlike last election, where sorry, last leadership race, where it seemed like Justin Trudeau was in for the long term, um, we didn't have the best field of candidates last time. Um, and I think people, uh, the only other candidate I think could run again this time would be O'Toole, and he's certainly improved since 2015. He's raised his profile. He's a hard worker. But I think we're also going to get lots of other great candidates. And the example I've been giving to people um, about the kind of potential candidate we could get is um, if we look to the Democrats in the states and Pete Buttigieg. This guy has an, pretty much an unpronounceable last name to a lot of people. He's gay. He's from a small town in uh, Indiana. And now he's um, within striking distance of winning Iowa and New Hampshire. And he's taking on a, you know Obama's vice president. So, so the strategy is here, you're going to kick out Sheer, and then hopefully on a wing and a prayer, somebody like Pete Buttigieg is going to come in and replace him? No, no that, mean, that that's an element. Like but I mean, we can have bit, the names I've heard. Bit of wishful thinking, man. It seems just as likely that the person you're going to have come out of nowhere is going to be another Maxime Bernier-style flirt with the alt-right populist. Well, Max went crazy pretty much after the leadership yeah. campaign. Oh, no, I, I acknowledge that. But I'm saying someone like him is more likely to, to, to gain traction in a leadership review in this particular moment than um, somebody who's, you know, more moderate and more with it than Andrew I think Scheer. what conservatives are looking for is a very competent prosecutorial um, leader, someone that... Um, can take on Trudeau, but also showcase a modern vision, someone that has some guts uh, and someone that has some empathy. Uh, and so that person could be Christy Clark. That person could be Brad Wall. That person could be James Moore. That person could be a Pete Buttigieg. Uh, but time will tell. But we're seeing really smart people come up um, in Ontario and do really well. Like if you look at how well Stephen Lecce is performing for the Ford government, these people are out there. Um, they just need to um, get, have an opportunity to put their names forward. Can I suggest that the Conservative Party of Canada's problem goes beyond Andrew Scheer? You know, I think there is, I mean, you know, to Jen's point, yes, I mean, I, I don't know that you had the front bench talent that is going to make that leadership race absolutely pop. I think she's right. But also, you know, it's not as though other people on the campaign were doing an amazing job and Scheer was just the, the lone lame duck there. What ideas are your is your party based on right now? I mean, you know, I think Stephen Harper elected in 2006 ran as a reformer. Here's how we clean up government. You know, Brian Mulroney was, you know, the get people to work prime minister. Like, you know, the conservatives of the past have had a reason for running. I don't, I'm not sure I understand what the conservative party's like raising debt right now is beyond get rid of Justin Trudeau. I think it should always be get people working. 
And whether you're out west and you're hurting, we need to tell people that we can get people working. And in Ontario, when we see um, wages stagnant um, for many years, when we see affordability issues with housing and, and public transit, we need to make get get people jobs, make life easier and more affordable um, and, and better. And I think that's the, the op, that's the the aspirational um, issues that we need to be talking about. But so much of that has, has sort of fallen onto a handful of things like get rid of the carbon tax. And I think Ontario Proud, Canada Proud has been really instrumental in building that case of the carbon tax is the devil. You got to get rid of it. Everything will be rosy and, and functional afterwards. Is this the memification of the Conservative Party to some degree? You know, I didn't hear the Conservative Party actually doing a good pitch for back to work jobs. I heard we'll get rid of the carbon tax. Once Trudeau is gone, everyone will have a job and there'll be a car in every driveway. Yeah, and I agree. I think the mistake is that we the conservatives talk about the carbon tax too much. Well, you I, talk about the carbon tax too much. Yeah, but I, that's in the absence of um, others talking about other issues. I'd rather be talking about cell phone bills. If I was going to run a national campaign, and I told people this for, for <laughs> I've told people this for a long time, we should be talking about cell phone bills. This is the biggest thing we could talk about, full force. If a conservative leader was smart, they would do press conferences in front of Rogers and Bell and Telus and attack them. I think it'd be a great look for a conservative but leader. you run a third-party advertising group that carries an enormous amount of sway and has a very substantial budget. You have the power to run ads. You have the power to hold press conferences. Why haven't you done that? Why are you focusing so damn hard on the carbon tax? I mean, not to mention you've also gone hard on immigration levels. I mean, you've, you've gone after Trudeau personally. I mean, We've never gone after immigration levels. Yes, you did. Want me, to, want me to pull up the meme? It, you were warning Canadians that the Trudeau government was going to raise immigration levels to 350,000 people okay. a year. Sorry. A 40% been... hike, and you I, yeah, you did. I mean, you, you run ads on immigration. the I mean, you have the power to change things. Isn't it weird for you to kind of sit on the sidelines and say the Tory party we has have, to But we better? have talked about cell phone bills. Yeah. Uh, and and but we can only do so much. We do not control we the whole political media discourse of the country, and, and we need to be able to amplify and echo what's already going on. Uh, if we're alone in it, it's a lot more challenging. But you do control the discourse that's coming out of your own pages. Yeah, right. Like it's it, it it may not be on you entirely to to shift the conservative uh, movement's uh, view on things like I don't know environmentalism or um, cell phone bills, but I mean you have that ability to you know add a little bit more depth to some of the the, the memes and pages that you do have. Sure. Yeah, and that's a fair criticism, and that's something we could be doing better. I'm not saying Canada Proud is perfect. We should be. There's lots of things I want to be doing better. But it's also about resources and about how we can best um, best defeat the liberals. And in certain cases, that's echoing voices and sentiments already, already out there. A big part of Andrew Shear's election campaign was defeat the liberals at all costs. Whatever ideology we end up running on, right wing, center right, centrist, as long as we beat Trudeau, that's all that really matters. That's also been kind of a hallmark of the Ontario Canada proud sort of strategy over the last couple of years. You're not really an idea factory. You're a beat the liberals factory. Yeah, yeah, we're not we're not a think tank. If you want to want a think tank, start a think tank or look to the Fraser Institute or a litany of others. Um, if you want to talk about we are a third party advertiser, that's what it was meant to be and that's what it was set up to be and that's what it primarily is. And I remember I, I ran into it at a Christmas party like four years ago and you had just started Ontario Proud and I said, oh, I like this. It's a, a fun meme page to discuss conservative policies. We're at a point now where you put things out like a meme that reads, the problem is not that Trudeau is an incompetent, entitled, lying, virtue signaling, backstabbing, fake idiot who has no business leading the country. The problem is that his supporters don't care. Is that help? Like, is this helpful? Like, is this good? Like, is this a thing that we're happy about that is 
being pushed out by a well-funded if someone said this about donald trump would you care is justin trudeau donald trump i think he's listen i'm not a donald trump fan but i don't like justin trudeau and there's a lot of people that agree with me and that speaks to them and it speaks and if someone's seeing that scrolling through their facebook page i think it's fair criticism what criticism what well like, wouldn't you uh, if you replace that with donald trump people you would be fine with it right uh i'm not sure that i would and also donald trump is not justin trudeau you're right but i think he's ba- he's still bad for canada but do you think you're helping democracy yes we need more voices saying different things we are a player in the in, in the spectrum we are not the only player do you think you're constructive yes we're trying to defeat liberals. Yes. That, that, I don't that, like liberals. That's inherently not constructive. I think so. I don't like bad politicians. And I think it's good if there's people on the left uh, trying to defeat b- politicians they think are bad too. It just strikes me as kind of interesting because, I mean, you're, you're focusing on, you know, we're, we're the defeat the liberals machine. I'm, I'm, I'm fundamentally um, doing what I believe in doing and I'm serving democracy by defeating a, uh, somebody I disagree with. Okay. But how does any of this qualify you to be a conservative kingmaker? It, it seems to me like you are so focused on and laser focused on defeating the baddies in, in, in your in your conception. That's fine. You, you have a very, you're totally entitled to, to, to be that guy to do that thing. But, you know, you, you don't seem super passionate about policy and you don't seem super passionate about getting behind a leader that you, you actually care about or think could do a really good job running the country. That's not what I hear from you. So what, why are you the best guy or, or a good guy to sort of topple sheer? Because I do fundamentally believe in free markets and free people. Um, I'm not a policy expert. I want solutions that fit those two parameters. Uh, that's what I want. I'm not a policy expert. I don't claim to be. I'd rather bring in people who are policy experts to develop pol- uh, political platforms. Like you're a fighter. You're on the trenches of this political battle and you're 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 basically the street fighter. I get that. And like I get in a democratic system why we would need people like that. I mean, and the liberals have street fighters too. Everybody has sort of partisan street fighters. Cool. I mean, I'm using a, probably torturing this analogy. But why does the street fighter think himself a, a good guy? To decide whether or not Sheer should be able to continue on as leader, like what what qualifies you to make that position? But it's me amongst many people, and I'm I'm playing a role for this conservative victory group. Uh, I'm not the only person on it, and we're not even um, running a candidate. It's about getting Sheer out of the way so we can have more ideas come through. But answer the question: Which Street Fighter character are you? (laughs) Back, back, left, (laughs) fireball. (laughs) Let me let me ask you this. If we didn't have Ontario Proud, Canada Proud, and Press Progress, and all of these sort of partisan outlets that are either meme pages or fake think tanks or fake websites or whatever, do you think we would be better off as a country or worse? Worse. We, I think we need more voices, not, not fewer. But doesn't it matter what those voices are saying? And let's bring it back to Andrew Scheer. You know, but why do, why, do you, why do people get to decide what voices are I'm not are going to bad? decide. I'm not, de- I'm not deciding. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we should shut you down. I think he's actually trying to guilt you into quitting, Jeff. And you're giving away the plot. No, but quite earnestly, I mean, you know, for the conservative members who are still kind of on the fence about Scheer, you know, who might not appreciate the campaign that he ran, um, but who aren't sure there's anything better on the other side, would it not be helpful to give them a vision of, you know, what you think the conservative party should be or what your donors or, or whatever, um, do you not think it's worth advocating or advancing an idea of what the Conservative Party could be? And, and when it comes to a leadership candidate, that's what we'll do. But right now it's about sheer is harming the party. We need 
uh, a healthy race. And if Sheer wants to run again, he should run. Uh, but we need a healthy race where new voices and uh, new ideas can can emerge. Because generally, it feels like your outfit. I mean, you know, you are funded by increasingly, I know, small donors, but a handful of big corporate donors. You use the apparatus you've built to go after people. I mean, that's fundamental. You go after Trudeau. You're going after Sheer now. But so let's be clear. The prouds, the prouds you are. You also, but you, know, you also have a lot of great memes about like bagged milk and how lovely maple syrup is. So like, let's be fair here. The prouds are also staying sure. neutral in this campaign. Yeah, but I mean, you are part of the proud apparatus. I mean, sure, you're the you're the the, the brain master. Is that a word? No. Okay. So pr- pr- <laughs> so proud proud. You're not going to use the the proud network to try and mobilize any of the members to vote against Cheer during the the leadership review, if if it comes to that. No. Why not? Well, one, there's a there'd be a disagreement amongst. Uh, listen, there's a board of directors with Canada Proud. I'm not. I can't control it all, and I think there'd be a disagreement on that. I also think Canada Proud's role. Um, that's not what Canada Proud is about, is getting involved in internal conservative battles. But to keep kind of harping on this, the conservative party needs to figure out what kind of conservative party it wants to be in the 21st century, right? Especially in the second decade of the 21st century, which is, I'm told, where we are now. Does it have to change substantially? It kind of sounds like you're saying, oh, no, all we need is a funny guy who can sell the same things that Sheer was saying. I mean, you, do you need a party that you know does actually have a sensible environmental platform, You know, is cool with queer people, You know, is finally putting the abortion thing to rest? Like, wh- where do you think this conservative party should be? Do you even care? Well, one, I think if we had a better leader last time, we would have won the last election, right? But that's also- even even with kind of saying all the same things, doing all the same things. If it had been a different face, you think you would have won? Yes. Okay. Now, does that mean I think we the party needs to change too? Yeah. I also think the party needs to modernize its approach for the long term. I think we need to be inclusive. We need to be talking to um, ethnic communities and making sure we're not alienating urban women and doing all the other things that need to be done. We need to figure out a way to talk about climate change in a more sensible way for the long term. There's a litany of things that need to be improved. But don't you think you've incentivized talking about climate change in the stupidest way possible? I mean, and I, I mean this quite gen- genuinely. You you put out memes that kind of say, you know, carbon tax is not a environmental platform. It's actually counterproductive. It's a tax grab, yada, yada, yada. You've created a feedback loop where saying bad things about the carbon tax gets donations and likes and shares and people angry online. And it doesn't leave room to incentivize people to come out and say, here's a thoughtful, sensible alternative. But you're act- you, we can't be all things to all people, and you're not. You're acting. But you're doing a bad thing. <laughs> no, but I think you you're, acting, you're asking. Listen, Canada yeah. Proud isn't a isn't a political party. Yeah. And so we're not going to have all the solutions to problems, and we're going to look to. We should look to political parties and policy experts to find those solutions. But you're doing a bad. I'm a, you're I'm, doing a bad thing. We're an attack dog that attacks bad ideas and bad politicians, right? Right. And I think the left has had them. The unions outspent Canada Proud what nine to one last election, and they're able to run vicious ads and, you know, but I'm, hey, but, say, at least I'm transparent. You, yeah. I'm on this podcast. Would anyone, yeah. would anyone from Unifor come on here? Absolutely not. Oh, they probably, we haven't asked. <laughs> we should probably ask at some point. I apologize if this is a Unifor shop. Solidity, solidarity yeah. forever. At least the unions are out there saying, what do we not want? Layoffs. Because we have members, we don't want them laid off. What do we want? More investment in public services. You can disagree with that, but you know they are a membership-driven organization. Um, you know They have elections for their board. They are pretty upfront about what they want and what they don't want. Your organization is you know, former Conservative Party staffers, for the most part, um, taking money from private corporations to run ads that are largely in lockstep with the Conservative Party. Do you not think there's a difference there? I mean, not that it's necessarily one is good, the other is bad. 
I actually think they're both to a large degree bad, um, but do you not recognize that there is a difference there? But when you look at the actual content that these groups put out, they're they're identical. Yeah. I mean, they they attack Shear, they attack Doug Ford, and you know there's there's a lot of mean spirited stuff. In there. And so yeah, Uniform might claim certain policy objectives, but when it comes down to the political aspect of it, they fight like we do. I, I I'm gonna play devil's advocate here with you a little bit, Justin, not to get not to get Je- Jeff totally off the hook for being the baddie, but to some extent, people can choose to contribute to the yes. the proud network if they want to, whereas for example, the unions for the most part, the people who are join them have to join them in order to take the jobs that they do and the con- contributions are forced and then that, that, that income then goes to partisan funding. So you could make an argument for one being a baddie or the other being a baddie or both being the baddie. So I'm not sure that the unions are quite as lily white as you're playing it. Listen, I'm not going to guilt you into shutting Ontario Proud down. I've accepted that. Um, can I at least suggest that Ontario Proud could be a vehicle for something more positive than the rancor and vitriol that you've created on your your platform uh, thus far. I, I don't listen. I I'm <laughs> I disagree with that premise. But well, I, you I can also disagree I, all you want. But no, I, listen. There's a lot of things I would love to do with more resources. Right. Um, I'm not giving you any more money. <laughs> I'm giving. I'm. All, I'm tithing enough. I, I'm gonna look no you up in our nation, brother. <laughs> no, there's lots of things I want to be doing, and that's the thing is I'm not. Only, my ideas don't end at. Canada Proud and Ontario Proud and yeah. what I want to uh, contribute to Canada and political discourse and business. Um, they go, they extend beyond that. Uh, and so Canada Proud has its role. It is an attack dog, but I think you're right. We, there's other things that I would like yeah. to be doing through that vehicle, but there's also other things I want to be doing through other vehicles. Um, and that includes being more positive and proactive. What I'm hearing from you is that Canada Proud is, is the first of, of your uh, foundation blocks and the empire that you choose to build around. I started Ontario Proud and then Canada Proud because they were the logical next steps and then it was an opportunity in the market that I could do. And and you, you expect to uh, grow your influence and power base from there. No, that seems really egotistical. Are you, are you running like... for leader? No, I'm never... Is this all a scheme to get out, <laughs> sheer out so you can run? No. Um, no, I never, uh, listen, I don't like, I'm not, Jen, I don't view myself in that regard. Uh, I'm just doing, I like to do cool things, like things I like to be doing. And I like, that's kind of why I like having my own business and having the freedom to do cool things and think about cool things. And that's what I want to do. And so there's things, I'm not some grandiose visionary thinker where I think 10 years down the road or even a year or two, it's what can I do next that I would enjoy that I think I can be good at. Okay. I, I hope it is more positive because, and I've told you this privately before, I think you're hurting democracy <laughs> and I want you to stop hurting it so much. Okay. That's just my, that's my little. I, I, that's okay, Justin. It's, uh, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm okay if you don't like me all the time. This episode is also brought to you by Audible. Audible has the best audiobook performances, the largest library, and the most exclusive content curated by and for Canadians. Now, if you were depressed by Justin's suggestion last week, might I suggest this monumental work by Friedrich Hayek, one of the thought leaders of the Austrian School of Economics and one of our greatest defenders of classical liberalism. The Road to Serfdom, the definitive edition. It is an unimpeachable classic work in political philosophy, intellectual and cultural history and economics. The Road to Serfdom has inspired and infuriated politicians, scholars and the public for half a century. Originally published in 1944, when Eleanor Roosevelt supported the efforts of Stalin and Albert Einstein subscribed lock, stock and barrel to the socialist program, the road to serfdom was seen as heretical for its passionate warning against the dangers of state control over the means of production. For Hayek, the collectivist idea of empowering government with increasing economic control would lead not to a utopia, but to the horrors of Nazi Germany and fascist Italy. Start a 30-day trial and your first Audible book is free. Learn more at audible.ca slash Canada. 
That's audible.ca slash C-A-N-A-D-A. So, Jen, last weekend I was in Nova Scotia for the Halifax Security Forum, and I got the chance to sit down with Figo Chen and Emily Lau, two Hong Kong pro-democracy figures who accepted the John McCain Prize for Leadership from the Forum. Lau is a former chairwoman of the Democratic Party, while Chan is one of the protesters who was organized in the streets of Hong Kong for weeks. I spoke to them just a couple days before President Trump signed the Hong Kong Democracy and Human Rights Act into law. Basically, the law would have just required some regular reporting about whether or not China is actually respecting Hong Kong's independence, and it would have given them the option to sanction individual Chinese officials or Hong Kong officials if they've been found violating human rights or basic democratic principles. So a pretty reasonable act, all in all. And I managed to confirm last week that the Trudeau government has zero interest in adopting anything similar, which frankly is a disgrace. I 100% accept that Canada can't fix the rest of the world, uh, but I do think this government's absolute feckless, spineless toadiness to China uh, on this file is abhorrent. Isn't it an interesting contrast from where we were a couple of years ago, where, where the Trudeau government was trying to claim that Canada had lost its role as an honest broker and that we were going to be back on the world stage, we were going to get a seat at the totally useless and pointless uh, UN Security Council, and now we can't even engage in the most perfunctory and symbolic of acts toward Hong Kong. It's it's pretty amazing to me. Honest broker, it turns out, just means absolute kowtowing hand wringer. So anyway, I wanted to play a bit of this interview so you can actually hear two of the people most impacted by China's crackdown of the protesters there and listen to them demand something better from the prime minister. China has done a very good job, especially over the last decade, of lobbying, convincing politicians around the world to take a more friendly stance towards China. It, up until recently, hasn't been incredibly effective, apart from now the President of the United States repeatedly says that, uh, you know, President Xi is his, his friend and, you know, counts him as, a, as an ally. Um, is that discouraging? There are people in, uh, in public office, whether it's in government or in parliament or in business, they want to make money. Hmm. So they want, you know, China is a big pot of gold and they want to go in and, and get it. And so uh, in the process, other things, you know, have to play second fiddle. Mm. So we know that. And of course, it's very disappointing. And China knows that they know the weaknesses or the wants of these people and they satisfy them. So it, it's not easy. But then I, I talked when I talked to the audience here, I said, you have your values. So those things should matter too. I mean, I have nothing against people doing business, but it's not that when you do business, you betray your own values, that's all. But if you do business, but you still stick to those things and get China to do it. And I also mentioned the importance of reciprocity, which is a very fair thing. Mm. Well, when they come here, the whole place is very open. And they get access to all kinds of things, whether they're journalists, whether they're academics, the business people, they get access because it's open society. But when you go there, you don't. Mm. And you don't complain. You accept it. So they feel very happy. <laughs> they come and, and get everything. So they think you're fools. So why should you do that? I'm not asking you to sanction them. I'm asking you to demand the same treatment. And if you can push China to act in a more civilized way, it will be good for the whole world. It's just that in the past, people have spoiled China. It feels like one of the most effective strategies against China recently has been 
the images coming from Hong Kong, the protesters have done a fantastic job of, of getting photos, images out, and, and, and you know, making their voices heard online and, and, and through the media in a way that unfortunately, you know, maybe the Tibetan or the Uyghur cause hasn't... They can't do it. Yeah. You can't go in. Hong Kong can can do that is because Hong Kong is have some freedom. Yesterday the 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 ambassador here, the Chinese yeah. ambassador yes. here, told the Canadians yes. not to support I think, I think Hong that's, Kong. That's, that's a good thing for all the people, the world. Know more about the mainland China and know more about what they did. You, you can see that the, they, they, they don't want to give the freedom for the people and they want, don't want to give the power for the people. That is the main point. We can we can lots just hope government can can give freedom to to us. We we should just fighting for for our freedom for for our democracy. That is sleeping tiger and now it's wake up. <laughs> yeah, nah. yeah. The Tibetans and the Uyghurs you can't see it. Although actually the number involved much bigger. Some say three million now in Xinjiang. Yeah. I don't know, but you can't see nothing. So how can people be moved and be mobilized? So in a way, Hong Kong is still lucky because there's that freedom. And those images, I think, have contributed to the U.S. House and Senate introducing that bill, passing it with only one vote against. Yeah. Um, and it's led to all of the support. You haven't seen that in Canada and definitely not in the U.K. The Canadian government, even though it's in still you know squaring off against China, has not been as vocal as... U.S. legislators, yeah. it, it kind of feels like they are heeding the warning from the Chinese ambassador to stay out. Yeah. Does Canada, the U.K., Germany, everybody else need to do more? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, uh, that's why I hope the prime minister would have some guts and a sense of dignity and courage. Not just to speak out for us. These are universal values. So he should speak out. I'm, I, I'm not against Canada trading with... Yeah. Uh, with China. I'm not against Halifax selling lobsters to China, no. (laughs) But you can also say, hey, okay, I'll trade with you, whatever, but I also want to talk about human rights. And I hope you will not, uh, you know, violate the human rights of your people. So I hope they'll do it. And uh, and I think the Chinese probably were worried that after American Congress has passed the law, they fear that something similar may happen here. That's why they spoke out yesterday. So he thinks the police yeah. <laughs> would be would listen to your prime minister's words. And well, I, I think that whether it's the Chinese government, Hong Kong government, or the Hong Kong police, they all listen. Yes. But and if the international community leaders speak out, of yes. course they listen. Because China cares about face. Yes. If you internationally, at every occasion, you keep bringing this up, you keep mentioning it, they will be embarrassed. Just on the in the reverse, if nobody talks about Hong Kong, because they meet all a lot a lot of foreign dignitaries, mm-hmm. if every time they have a meeting, nobody talks about Hong Kong, now that would be bad news. <laughs> Thank you.
That's it for Oppo this week. Tell us what you think. Your feedback sustains our souls. Email oppo at canadalandshow.com or tweet us at oppocast. And go like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like us, rate us and leave a review. Maybe we'll even read them on air and we can get into a fight. What I thought would be nice, Jen, is that if we finally got on someone who we've been asking to join us for quite some time, it would be nice if the Prime Minister finally had, you know, the courage to come sit down and chat with us. It's a, it will never happen, Justin. He's just not brave enough. And he's certainly not brave enough to face you. It won't happen unless people get organized. So I'm saying right now, hashtag, come on oppo, you coward. I'm not going to spell that for you. Figure it out. Come on oppo, you coward. You're going to make it happen. While you're at it, also renew and with an E. Um, come on oppo, you coward, and renew and with an E. Go on Twitter. Let's make this happen, kids. <laughs> How much does Ontario Proud cost? Can we get them involved in this? Anyway, this episode was produced by Laura Howells and David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton, and the theme music was by Nathan Burley. I have the last word this week, and that word is blue. It's the only thing I could that came into my brain. <laughs>